my wife became a Christian because of a campus ministry. I became a Christian because of a campus ministry. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but about 80% of the people who become Christians do it before the age of 21. And so it's smart and strategic to focus evangelistically on young folks. And I sure am glad somebody did that for me because, man, I'm a mess. And if I, if I didn't have Jesus in my life, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I was abused when I was a little kid. I've got all kinds of issues uh, that mess up my relationships and cause me to struggle with anger and all kinds of other stuff. But I've got Christ in my life, and I've got people that love Christ in my life. And as a result of that, I get to be a different man than I would be on my own. Amen? And I know many of you guys uh, are in the same boat. We are a messed up group of people in here. Um, I know, because I know your stories. And from some of you guys that are visiting, if I told you who you were sitting by, you'd move down a couple chairs. Um, because we are a messed up group of people. But the great news is Christ will enter into that mess with us and turn around and give us a message so that we can help others. Because he's good. Amen? He's good today, and he was good yesterday. And he was good a long time ago, a lot of yesterdays ago. We're going to look at a passage of scripture in a moment that, that is from a lot of yesterdays ago. Now, this passage that I want to preach out of this morning is from way back in 2 Chronicles. And just to set up the context, this was spoken at a time by God whenever they were dedicating the temple. If you don't know what the temple was, the temple was a big deal, okay? God worked through the Jewish people uh, over the course of time to kind of reveal himself to the world. He uh, first showed up in Genesis talking to Abraham, promising, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. Everybody that blesses you, I'm going to bless. Everybody that curses you, I'm going to curse. Uh, you, you follow that narrative all the way through uh, the forefathers, through Moses. Eventually you get to the monarchy and David. Uh, and then today we're going to get to Solomon. That's David's son. Solomon is the one that actually builds the temple to the Lord. The point of the temple for the Old Testament people, for the Jewish people, was to have a place to worship God and to have a place of prayer. And it was beautiful. He, he had the best artisans and the best artists in his land come together. 70,000 laborers. Guys, 70,000 laborers. People to pick up rocks and move them. 80,000 stonecutters. 3,600 foremen to kind of oversee that. It took them a long time. But they got this thing built. They overlaid it in gold. They made it beautiful on the inside. If you walk in, there were these angels that were overlaid in gold that the best artists were able to, to create. They had this sea that they had created where you could come in and there was this reflective pool in front of all of this cool stuff to look at. And it was just when you walk in, you would have just been in awe, right, of, of the artistry. But when they dedicated it, they had a week-long celebration to dedicate this temple. Solomon prayed a prayer, and it was a long prayer. It's in 2 Chronicles 6. And in his prayer, the wisest man in the world, who was gifted by God to, to, to have insight, prayed to God as they dedicated this temple. God, we want you to come here. We want you to live here. But in the future, when we mess up, would you please restore us? And there's this call three different times in this prayer where Solomon is asking God as part of his dedication of this place of worship, God, when we mess up, would you restore us? Give us another chance. And God's response comes in 2 Chronicles 7. Now, this is God talking. He's responding to Solomon as at this temple dedication. His visible presence visited this temple, right? 
in a dark cloud that all the people would have seen this. This was where God was living. And here's what God said. He said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Now let me tell you something about the God we serve. There is never a hopeless time for you. You cannot mess up enough for God to close the door on you and say you can't come back. Now, guys, uh, I don't know about you, but I have not nailed this being a disciple thing. Okay? Have you? Have you gotten this perfect? When I became a Christian, within one week, I fell back into immorality. Within one week. That was one of my big struggles. Women, right? Uh, happily married now, been married a long time, but I wasn't when I first became a Christian. I was a guy that was fresh out in the world, and within a week, I screwed up. Bad. Guys, I have relapsed since I've become a Christian. I've done drugs. Again. Right? I have gotten drunk since I've become a Christian. Again. I have struggled with pornographic addiction since I became a Christian. Right? And I've been a work in progress for a long time. But I got to tell you, if it was an open and shut where God said, you got to nail this or, or you can't come back. Guys, I would not be here. And you wouldn't either. And I know so many people in this world that God loves so much that feel like they can't come to God because they've done too much bad. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like the door's shut and you can't come back? Guys, one of the great truths in the story of God is you can always, always, always come back. And it is just natural when you become a Christian, you're on fire when you first make that commitment. You're on fire. You want to win the world for Christ. You want to, you, you get, but then over time, you can get into a routine where that fire dies down. And you still, you still come around, you still go to church, you still, but that fire isn't there. And, and if you're not careful, you can slide into a, a place that can really gradually, you can get right back into that dark place again. But let me tell you, you can always, always, always come back. Isn't that good news? That is great news. The word restored, which we're starting a new series this week on this idea of restoration. We're going to look at this for a little bit. This is going to give us hope, okay? This idea of being restored just means that we're brought back to an earlier and better condition. And this consistent theme in the Bible that God's door is always open, there's always room for restoration, can apply to a lot of different things. So I just want you to ask, there's some blanks. you got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at. It's going to have some places for you to take some notes. Uh, we actually use these in our small groups. So whenever we have a small group meeting, everybody brings their notes, and we kind of look down. And how do we apply this to our lives? That's kind of what our groups are all about. Uh, what would you like to be restored, though? This is just for you to think about. I'm not going to give you the answers to that. That's for you. Is there something in your life that you would like to be restored where it's not 
where it needs to be. You know it's not where God wants it to be. Would you like it restored? This could be your marriage. If you've been struggling in your marriage, God can restore that. Guys, this could be your sobriety. If you've if you struggled with addiction like I do and you've fallen back into old habits, maybe you need that restored. This could be your relationship with your children. I know that's a source of pain for so many people when you have prodigals or when you just have broken relationships. So many of our folks here at the crossings come to Christ later in life. And as a result of that, there's usually a lot of brokenness in the family. That, and, and there's relationships that have to be restored. Maybe it's self-discipline. You know, maybe it's healthy habits. You, you were doing really good. You were trying to honor God with whatever it was, but you got off track somewhere and you want to get back. Maybe it's just your intimacy with God. Maybe you think, man, at one time I was so close and I felt so close and I was spending time with him and I was praying to him and, and I've just gotten out of that. Maybe that needs to be restored. Guys, regardless of what it is, I don't know what it is for you. You may not even know right now. Maybe this is something you need to take and pray about. But I don't know what it is. But what I do know is regardless of what it is, God wants to restore it. God is good. Amen? God wants your good. Amen? He knows what's best. Amen? Are you sure? You sure you want to amen amen that? Okay. Okay. I'm just making sure. Because sometimes I live like he doesn't know best. I know best. Right? You want to know what we call that? What do we call that, kids? Pride. Oh, somebody's been listening. Okay. I am so happy that God gives me unlimited chances, aren't you? Unlimited chances. How many chances do you have? Unlimited. How many times can you return back to God? Unlimited. You know, is there ever a quota that I reach where now forgiveness is not? Unlimited, right? It's up to you. It's your heart. Here's three facts that I want to look at today about God's restoration promise. Number one, this is on your notes, okay? God will use difficult times to draw me back to God. Now, these are just some axioms and some principles in Scripture about restoration. First of all is God will use difficult times to draw me back to God. Now, I want you to point back to that Scripture we looked at a second ago in 2 Chronicles. God's response, he says, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. Look at this now. This is not good news here in 13. He says, at times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. That's not a good response, God. Why did you have to put that in there, right? Why did God put that in there? Why would God do that? It says might. I might do this. Why? That that implies possibility. Why would God do this? If you read the narrative of the Old Testament, when God did this, it was because the people had fallen out of relationship with him and were engaging in something that was harmful to them. And so it was an act of discipline. Because sometimes, and any of you in here who have had a time in life when it's gotten so bad, like you hit rock bottom, you know, in the addiction community, uh, in recovery circles, they say, when you hit rock bottom, the only way you have to look is up. Have you guys ever heard that? That's so true, right? Because when you have everything stripped away from you in life, and all that you are is just laying, you know, like the prodigal in the pig pen, you look up. What can, where else can I go? Who else can I turn to? Well, God needs us to be dependent on him like that. He doesn't need it. We need it. He wants us to be dependent on him like that because we're going to have the best life we can. So when the Israelites get into trouble, when they start uh, worshiping other gods and things like that, guys, those things are inherently harmful to them. 
In the worship of those other gods, they did horrible things. They killed babies, they, they had ritual orgies, they did all the self-mutilation, they did all these horrible things. They hurt themselves and others. God wasn't cool with that. And so he would punish them when they would fall into idolatry. But the point of the discipline was to bring them back to himself. It wasn't just to hurt them. It's the same with my kids, okay? How many of you here are parents? Okay, in my house, we spank. I don't know about your house, uh, but I can probably tell from the behavior of your kids. I'm just kidding. Um, we discipline. And, and one of the things that I learned, which I have, I have a good godly mom and dad. Uh, we weren't perfect. They made mistakes, but I was disciplined growing up. And one of the things my parents were really good about whenever I would get into trouble, uh, you know, why am I giving you a spanking? They would, they would have me explain it to them. And I don't know, you know, you're horrible. No, I didn't say that. That would have been an extra lick. Uh, why am I giving you a spanking? I learned because my, my dad would sit there and explain it to me. You're getting a spanking because you punched your sister in the face. And I don't want you to grow up to be a man who hits people like that. I don't want you to grow up and be a man who's going to lose his temper and do stupid things. Because... That's not the kind of man that you're not going to have a good life. And that's not, that doesn't honor God. And he would explain it. And he would say, I'm spanking you because I love you. I'm giving you a little hurt now to save you from a bigger hurt later. And now with my own kids, I pass that same knowledge on to them. Guys, that's reflective of what God is like. Why does God do things like withhold rain? That sounds horrible. You're going to make little kids like get hungry and not having a, okay, why? I'm giving you a little hurt now to save you from a bigger hurt later, right? That's what it's all about. Guys, discipline is no fun. God's discipline is no fun. And you look at things sometimes we think are bigger, like I, I get cancer and I might die, okay? If God sent that on me, which by the way, guys, just to be clear, all bad things that happen in the world are not God sending it. Sometimes God sends stuff. Sometimes it's just the brokenness of the world. But, but also, uh, the things that we think of as really, really big in, in eternity are not big. Okay, God withholds rain from the land and causes a famine. Somebody might pass away because of that. We think of that in temporal terms, like that is the biggest thing that can happen. God's like, where are they eternally? Think of this in eternal perspective, okay? Uh, little hurt to save you from a big hurt. God's discipline is not fun. In Hebrews 12, it says the Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines those he calls his own. It is never fun to be corrected. Amen, right? In fact, at the time, it's always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. Now stand up straight, stop your knees from shaking, walk a straight path, then lame people will be healed instead of get, getting worse. He says right here, discipline is not pleasant. If, if discipline is pleasant, it's not discipline. Okay, it's something else. It's not any fun. But the point of it is to give you a little hurt to save you from a big hurt. It's to redirect you. Paul had this perspective about some hard times in his ministry. And speaking of a time when the pressure had gotten so great on him, which he went through some horrible things, when the pressure got so great on him one time, he despaired even of life. Look at this perspective. 
that he has in 2 Corinthians 1.9. It says it felt like we had a death sentence written upon our hearts and we still feel it to this day. That's horrible. But then look at what he says. Look at his attitude. He says it has taught us to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all of our trust in the God who raises the dead. Is that how you look at life? Like when you get that diagnosis or when you experience that loss or when you're going through that tragedy, is that your attitude? I look at this and I'm like, that's a spiritually mature man. I'm not there yet. Sometimes, like maybe in my better moments, but this is Paul, like, and he's just a man. This isn't Jesus. This is Paul. Like, if he can do it, what excuse do I have? I don't have one. Guys, that's why we have the Word of God. Because he wants us to look at this and apply it. Like, am I like this? Paul learned to rely completely and dependently upon God for his life. That's his attitude. The key question that I've got to ask is, am I learning from God's discipline? Or am I learning from hard times? Again, guys, I don't believe that God causes every bad thing that happens in the world. I don't believe that. I think some of it is just a result of sin and brokenness. But God does sometimes discipline us because we need it. We need it. We've gotten off track. We've turned, turned, into, turned to wickedness, right? In some way, it could, could just be a heart level. It could be an attitude. You know, you can be religious and go to church and in your heart not really honor God because you're looking down on people or you're being hateful or you're not being Christ-like. Like, that's, that calls for God's discipline. It's not pleasant, But am I learning from my pain? Guys, I remember a few years ago when I first went through uh, getting counseling for what happened to me as a kid. So I was severely sexually abused growing up, uh, starting at the age of three till about the age of eight, off and on, uh, by multiple different people. Uh, There was a pedophile in my neighborhood who abused his kids, and his kids turned around and abused other kids. And I was like the youngest and smallest in my neighborhood. And so there were multiple kids that I got it from. I was a messed up dude, okay? Messed up, I'm still messed up, but I'm healing, right? You know, for years, I wouldn't even acknowledge that anything had happened to me because I was so ashamed of it. And what sexual abuse does to a little kid is it makes you internalize, I'm bad. The message, I'm bad, I'm broken. I can't ever let anybody know the real me because if they do, they're not gonna love me. And so your deepest, deepest fear is rejection. And you go through life just kind of protecting yourself. You go through life relationally like this. Like, don't get close to me. Like, I didn't like to be touched by men. I just messed up dude, right? When I started going through the the stuff I needed to get help for that, now I had convinced myself that God was good, but then I also had convinced myself I wasn't, a sexual abuse victim, and that stuff that happened to me wasn't really a big deal and didn't really matter. Convinced myself of that, too. When I learned that, no, that stuff that happened to me really was bad, and it really is a big deal, and it really messed you up bad, 
Now I have to reconcile God is good with I got raped when I was a little kid. And if God is good, why didn't he make a tree fall on those guys and protect me? If God is good, why am I carrying all this darkness around in me that I didn't ask for? If God is good, why did my innocence get stolen and my life get messed up? Why didn't I get protected? Maybe God isn't good, right? The greatest pain I've ever experienced in my life, emotionally, was going through that stuff and having to reconcile all those feelings that I had. And luckily, I had some people in my life that were able to act as the voice of God in my life, that were able to walk with me through that. And the one guy, I've told this story before, some of you have heard it, some of you haven't, but I remember sitting across the table from my friend Robert, who's an older, he's older than I am, he's in his 60s, He's a, he was also an abuse victim when he was a kid. His great-grandfather abused him. And I was able to express how I was feeling. And he's the one that said, you know, if you had a remote, like that movie Click, and you could just rewind time, uh, would you rewind time and take that abuse away from happening to your life? And I was like, why are you even asking? Of course I would. If I could rewind time and make that not happen to me, would I go back and make it Go away. Yes, absolutely. And he said, you know what? 30 years ago, I was sitting where you are. 30 years ago, I was struggling with the same questions you're asking and the same anger toward God that you're, you're experiencing. He said, but if I could rewind time, I wouldn't go back and change what happened to me for my great-grandfather. Because what you're thinking right now is you're thinking about your abuse. When you think about your experience, all you're thinking about is the negative. He said, when I think about my abuse, I'm 30 years ahead of you. And I think about the names and the faces of the people I've been able to help because of my abuse. So I praise God. And I said, what? Right? And I was sitting there crying, and, and I heard what he said. And it, it made a shift in my thinking because I was just thinking about me, right? I was just thinking about the bad stuff. I was just thinking about the darkness. I wasn't thinking about the good that can come from it. And when you're in the middle of pain, it can be extremely difficult to think of any good coming out of it. Amen? When you're going through it, it can be extremely, I mean, it can almost feel impossible to think any good could come out of this, right? When the people in this story are experiencing a famine, God's disciplining them, that had to be how they're feeling. Like, what good? But the thing is, God can take your greatest pain. He can take your greatest hurt. He can take the darkest, blackest darkness and he can turn around and make it into something good. Isn't that crazy? He can take an old hunk of junk and restore it into something bright and shiny and new. He can take that crap that you just want to throw away and, and sweep under the rug and pretend like it's not even there. He can take that and, and like use it to bless people. He'll turn it into jewels and gold and, and treasure. Now that you have to... What kind of God is this? 
That's a God of restoration, church. Amen? Amen. That's what he's like. You can blow it and you can come back. You can be in the darkness and he can turn it into light. You can be in the bad. He can make it into good. That's who we serve. Amen? Amen? That's what he's like. He's the God of restoration. And number two, guys, this is so important. Some of God's promises, some of God's blessings, some of God's, uh, some of God's best stuff is exclusively for God's people. It's exclusively for God's people. This is another theme that shows up in the scriptures. It's for God's people. To be clear now, God wants everyone to be saved. You want to know how I know that? The Bible says that. Now, there are theological systems out there, uh, Calvinism and, and some others, that teach that God's salvation is only for the select group of people. Guys, God expresses over and over in the scriptures, he wants everyone to be saved. Over and over. Um, 1 Timothy 2.4, 2 Peter 3.9, Ezekiel 33.11. Go check them out, see what it says. God wants everybody to come to repentance. God wants everybody to come to a knowledge of salvation. God doesn't rejoice when the wicked are punished. He wants everybody to be restored. That's his heart, right? He says, if my people who are called by my name in 2 Chronicles 7.14, I, I want to point out that to you. <laughs> now, I don't have it on your notes, but in John 1, guys, just to, not everybody is a child of God. Okay, I know at Christmas time, um, and, and think we, there's this popular idea that if you're human and you're, you're born, you're a child of God. Guys, that's not what the Bible teaches, okay? What the Bible teaches is what it says in John 1. It says the true light, this is on the screen, if you want to make a note of it, it's John 1, 9 through 12. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is John talking about Jesus coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now look at this in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Because that's what the Bible says. Okay, not everybody's God's child. God's child, the ones who are God's child, that you become God's child when you put your faith in his name, is what this says right here. It's that word pistis, that word believed, belief, faith. In the uh, original thought, that is mental belief, that is trust, that is loyalty, and that is obedience. Faith encompasses those four things. Okay? It is not just mental belief that God is there. It's not just mental belief that Jesus is the Son of God. There is action that accompanies true faith. That's why we have James 2. You know, show me your faith without works. I'll show you mine by what I do. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? Mental belief is not it. It's more than that. And so when we put our faith, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we say, I'm going to believe in you, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to be loyal to you, I'm going to obey you. When we make that commitment, that's when you become a child of God. There's this relational connection that's present as well. We can't just ignore God and refuse to seek God and then expect to be counted as a child of God. It doesn't work that way. It's not what the Bible teaches. And Jesus, as we looked at the Lord's Prayer a few weeks ago, 
that relational connection that Jesus teaches us is present between God and his children. It says in Matthew 6, 9, when Jesus is teaching them how to pray, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Right? This was revolutionary, by the way. You didn't talk about God as your father until Jesus came along. He's the one that taught us to do that. That's because he understood better than anybody there's a relationship that is present, an intimacy that's present between God and his children. I love the way this shows up in like the Psalms with David. If you, if you spend any time with David and, and what he put out there in the scriptures, he loved God, right? There was a relationship that he had with God. And God said, that's a man after my own heart. That's a man that others should try to be like in that instance. There's other ways we shouldn't be like David. I think you guys know. Um, but he's a good example there. He's a good example. And when we're part of God's family, all of those promises that God makes to his people, if you go study the Old Testament and just the story of the Bible and the story of God working in history, there's all these promises that God makes, all these blessings he's going to give his people. When you become a child of God, you inherit all of that promise and all of those blessings. You get to participate in that. It says in Galatians 3, since you are Christ's family, then you're Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the covenant promises. That's all the promises that God makes. But he's going to make us a nation. We're going to get to be part of this kingdom that never, never ends. We're going to get to inherit all of this stuff as his child, right? So the question you just got to ask is, am I God's child? Am I God's child? Do you want to inherit these blessings? That's the question. Am I God's child? Is that, is that where I am? We've got to respond to God in the way he says to respond to him in order to receive the benefits, right? Number three, all of God's promises depend on doing it God's way. All of God's promises depend on, number three, doing it God's way. We learn his way when we learn what he's like. Guys, the easiest way we can do that is through the word of God. When we open up the word of God, we're opening up the mind of God. We can see what God thinks about the world. We get to see what God thinks about certain situations. We get to find principles that God taught his people to guide them to have the best lives they could have. Not to not have any hardship, but even to deal with hardship. We learn everything we need to from there. Guys, we've got the Holy Spirit of God that we get when, when we become Christians. Guys, the Holy Spirit lives presently in us. He helps us see the world we, the, the way we need to see it. He helps us see things the way God sees it. He helps us live holy and right lives. And we've, he helps us learn to respond to God the right way as we lean into him more and more. Now, it's important that we do, do life the way God says to do it. You say, I want to have the best life possible. If you want to have the absolute best life possible, the absolute best life you can have is wrapped up in a relationship with God and rightly relating to him. You want to learn to be the person that God created you to be? you got to lean into your relationship with him. You've also got to obey him. And this is so important, guys. It can be so easy to be religious and not really serious about applying some of the stuff we're learning that God says to do. You can get into a habit of that, especially if you come to church a lot 
and you don't really take application seriously. You just kind of come and listen and you're encouraged, but then you don't really apply the word. What happens over time is you are actively hardening your heart against the word of God and it becomes easier and easier and easier to do that to the point where you are saying you're okay with things in your life that God never said were okay, you know? Like in this, we're not going to get into all what that, what that could be. You know what that could be. Just stuff the Bible says are sins that you get used to. And it, it, we, we got to be careful. When you go to the doctor and you get a prescription, the doctor says, I'm going to give you 20 of the circular blue pill. And you need to take it at noon with food. And you get home and you look at your prescription and you say... I don't like blue. You know what? I, I'm more of a yellow guy. Blue, it's too much sky in the world. I just, I got to see it all the time. I don't want to look at the blue. I want yellow. And I also don't like circles. I'm just not a circle guy. I'm more of a square guy. I don't want the circular blue pill. I want the square yellow pill. And I don't want to take it at noon with food. I'd rather take it without food before I go to bed. Are you going to get well? Are you going to get better if that's your approach to the doctor? But that can be our approach to God. Say, I want to have a good life. I want to have the best life I can have, but I'm not going to really listen to God about this relationship stuff or this marriage stuff. That's just a suggestion, right? I'm not going to listen to him about this uh, lust stuff. I like that part of my life. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to, I'll lean into these other things, right? You, you pick and choose. Just, it's, that is just as stupid. And I've done it, okay? I'm not looking down on anybody. I've done this. All of the stuff that I'm calling you guys out for, I'm probably one of the worst examples of. So don't, don't get bent out of shape. But when you treat God that way, that is one of the stupidest things that I can do or you can do. If God is good and he really wants us to have the best life possible, he's the good doctor, like who are we to take the prescription and say, I know better than that? Because that's just pride when, when we do that. That's all that is. That's all pride is. And that doesn't sound like that dangerous, but when I say I know best, that's just pride. And guys, we do that to God. When we see God is calling us to a certain thing or away from something and we say, I'm going to do that anyway, what you're doing attitudinally is saying, I know best. That's not that big of a deal. I know best. Not realizing the damage that we're doing to ourselves, to our families, to our friends. You can only bring somebody else as far as you've gone yourself relationally to God. And the further I get away, the less of a blessing I can be to others, right? Psalm 81, 13 and 14. God says, if my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? In Deuteronomy 5.29, this is God talking when they were especially doing well, the people, God's people, they were really living repentantly. God says, I wish they would always worship me with fear and trembling and be this willing to obey me. Then they and their children would always enjoy a successful life. Did you know the Bible said that? 
If you will lean into God and follow him, you're going to have a successful life. It's not going to be a life free from hardship because God promises all of us are going to experience hardship. But when you're leaning into God and you experience hardship, he equips you to deal with it in a way that you're not equipped to deal with when you're away from him. Amen? You can get through some crap with God. You can get through some stuff. You can get through anything. What's the worst that can happen? You might die. Where do you get to go? Nobody goes to heaven and stands before Jesus and says, send me back. Right? You're good. You're okay. He's going to take care of you in an ultimate sense. You're going to have a successful life. You're going to be a blessing. You're going to teach others to be a blessing. So there's two key questions that I want to close with this morning. First of all, the question, how do I become God's child? How do I become God's child? Well, becoming God's child involves being born again. In John 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You're born again, right? Now he's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher in Israel. Pretty, pretty, he had some clout. Like he was well, well-to-do, well-known. How can I be born again? Are you saying I need to go back into my mama's womb? I'm a grown man. You're telling me I got it? And Jesus is saying, no, you, you don't get it, right? You got to be born of the water and spirit. What was Jesus talking about? Well, if you study the narrative of the scriptures, Christian baptism, guys, and if you study church history, baptism was the point where the early believers thought that's when you become a Christian. They referred to it as grace. Now, in Acts 2, you know, that's where your sins were forgiven, was when you're baptized. That's where you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. And if you study Acts, which is the chronicle of the early church, that was the normative way for becoming a Christian. In 1 Peter 3.21, what's baptism all about? Well, it's about making a commitment to Jesus. It's about a pledge of good conscience toward God. It's not about the water, right? Now, baptism was a full immersion. Not about the water. It's about the heart. It's about the commitment. It's about the pledge that you're making. You're saying, I am dying. I'm, what do you do with a dead body? You bury it, right? Typically, you bury it. Uh, same with us. When I say, I want to become a child of God, what I am saying is that old me, that old sinful me that had no care for God, that old me that just wanted to be my own God, that old me that didn't want to listen, that didn't want to, didn't want to understand, that, that didn't even know if there was anyone there that cared, that old me needs to go. That old me needs to die. And so that old me is going to be buried because that old me is not going to be around anymore. Just like Jesus lived and died, and was buried in a tomb. I live, and then I realize I don't need to live. That old sinful me needs to go. So I die, and just like Jesus was buried in a tomb, I'm buried in that water. And just like Jesus rose to new life, I rise to new life. But I'm not the same old me, I'm the new me. I got the new life. I'm born again. And I'm making a commitment in that 
in that, that I am going to be the new me that no longer just lives for me. I live for Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and my King. And I'm not the same. It's funny to me. You know, I was a, um, I was a radio personality when I was younger. That was my first career. I was a local celebrity in a couple of different major commercial markets. A lot of people knew who I was. My name was Woody on the air. Don't call me that, okay? Uh, my last name is Woodell, so it was a nickname growing up. That was my name. Everybody knew Woody, right? Everybody knew who Woody was. Woody was all about women. Woody was all about limousines. Woody was all about cocaine. Woody loved ecstasy. Woody was in the club. Woody was out on the town doing all kinds of bad stuff, right? It's funny when I encounter people who knew Woody. They don't know who, they don't know me. They don't know Wes, the child of God, right? They knew who Woody was. They heard stories about, and then they found out that was that guy. There's a contrast that's present where that old guy, he ain't alive no more. He's gone. He's dead. He's buried. He's in the ground. So the new me, all praise and glory to God, guys, it is Jesus' fault. He messed up Woody's life. Matter of fact, he dug a hole and he buried that dude. And he brought me out. And I don't have to be that old me. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means. You draw a line in the sand. That's where things change. That's where I made the commitment to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be born again. I'm living a committed life to Jesus Christ. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm full of God's blessing and love. And I still screw up, guys. I still sin. But you want to know the difference now? When I sin, I know I can go to my loving Father and be restored. I know that. I know that. Guys, before that, I didn't have any hope. But I'm born again now. Are you God's child? Have you had this experience? Um, I lost my notes here. Hold on. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 says, It is through faith that all of you are God's children in union with Christ Jesus. Faith, pistis, belief, trust, hope, and obedience. Hope, loyalty, and obedience, right? That's what faith is. It is through faith that all of you are God's children in union with Christ Jesus. It starts with faith, right? If you have real faith, it's going to lead to action. Do not claim faith if it does not mess up your life. Do not claim faith if you still get to be your own God. That's not what faith is. Do not claim faith if you can look at the Word of God and see that God is calling you to a specific action and you ignore it. Do not claim faith. Okay, you may be religious. Guys, there's going to be a lot of religious people that get in trouble with the Lord because they're not being faithful. Faith, right? Starts with faith. 27, you were baptized into union with Christ, and now you are clothed, so to speak, with Christ himself. So there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between slaves and free people, between men and women. You are all one in union with Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are descendants of Abraham and will receive what God has promised. Now, I just want to point out here again, he's connecting this uh, 
inheritance of these blessings and this restoration to faith and, and to faith that acts. Right? It's, it's, he mentions baptism here. Uh, that's that pledge of good conscience. So am I God's child? Have you been baptized? Right? Do you understand what that means? Were you baptized to make a commitment to follow Jesus? If you were baptized as a little baby, guys, you know here, uh, I think it's awesome that you had a family that loved you and did that for you, but I personally don't believe that was baptism. Uh, what a baptism is, is where you make the commitment to follow Jesus and are baptized. That's what baptism is. If you're a little baby, somebody did that for you, right? You didn't make that commitment. Um, you know, if you, if you had a conversion experience where, you, you know, you prayed the sinner's prayer or something like that, and that was your conversion experience, but you were never baptized. Guys, again, we just want to do things the way they did it in the Bible. And in the Bible, if you wanted to become a Christian, you got baptized. That was how they did it. That was the first step. Okay, they didn't have a, a prayer that they prayed. That's something that within the last 200 years started, uh, mostly in our country, and it's kind of spread around. But that is, there, there's whole denominations that build their theologies around becoming a Christian that way, and it's divorced from Scripture. But there's a whole lot of money involved. Um, and so there's, there's strings that are pulled to keep those pet cows and traditional denominational doctrines kind of in place sometimes. I can tell you stories, but we're not going to jump down that rabbit hole. Uh, have you been baptized? You know, have you been baptized? Did you make that pledge? Secondly, ask, am I living God's way? Am I living God's way? Maybe you have made this commitment. Maybe you have made this pledge. Maybe you did have an experience where you were born again. Are you living it? Because like I said at the beginning of the lesson, guys, it is so easy to start out strong, to start out really strong, and then to, to fall into a routine. I've done it. Like, I've done this in my life. I think I'll probably, you know, I don't want to, but I'll probably do this again at some point where I, I have to. Nobody knows when they're getting there, right? You don't know when you're getting off track sometimes. Sometimes you do, but a lot of times I don't. It's just when I realize, when I look around and I realize I'm not where I want to be. I got off track somewhere. Well, get back. You know, maybe that's you. Maybe you fell out of habits that were healthy for you. Maybe you disconnected from relationships that you need in your life. Maybe you, you've just gotten off track somewhere. You need to assess that and, and, and say, how do I get back? Guys, this happened to God's people. I think part of the reason that God put the story of the Israelites in a form that we can look at is to give us hope. Because, you know, you read those stories and you're like, man, those people were messed up. You know? Those were messed up. I remember as a little kid thinking how messed up the Israelites were when my parents would take me to church and I'd go to Bible class and I'd tell all these stories. I'll never be like that, I thought. And then I grow up and I realize I'm just like them. I'm jacked up. I need grace. I've made bad decisions. I've done really dumb things. I continue to, I need another chance, right? Isn't that good that that story's in there? Those of us that have jacked our lives up, is that good that you have hope that God loves these Israelites even though they screw up again and again and again and again? They did stuff I haven't done. I've never sacrificed a child in a fire. And I don't plan to start, right? They did that and God still let them come back. Seriously. Like that gives me hope. 
2 Chronicles 7.14, if, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn for their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. That word, if, you need to circle that word because if implies possibility. If implies a conditional promise. Guys, God's promises, nearly all of them, are conditional. We look at that passage a lot in Jeremiah 29, which a lot of, uh, a lot of inspirational Christian paraphernalia has this passage on it. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to bless you, plans uh, to give you hope in a future, Right? We want to just look at that part. We don't want to look at the part right after that that says, in order to receive that, you have to seek God with your whole heart. We just skip that part. We just want the happy without the commitment sometimes, right? Every promise of God just about is conditional. I will bless you if. I will give you a great future if. I will give you the best life you can have if. And within the if, you know, God created you in his image. You are not a little robot where God just zaps you and takes over your life and lives it for you. That is bull, okay? You are a person that he created with a will because you were created in his image. In his sovereignty, he gave you the ability to make choices. He made you a sovereign little king over your will. And so the if means that if I choose with my will to do this thing God is saying to do, then I get to have these blessings. It's conditional. It's on me. It's on you. It's on us. Whether we get to inherit these blessings or not, it's very simple. We need to honor God through obedience. We need to do what God says. We can't go into business for ourselves. We can't take the prescription and say, I don't like the blue and the circle I want to do my own thing. We got to do it his way. We got to follow his prescription. So am I a child of God? Am I living God's way? If you're here visiting today, guys, we're going to close out. Um, But I want you to know that you are with a group of people that takes following the Lord very seriously. We really try to be real and live this out. And we also believe God put us in community with one another because he wants us to help each other do that. There are three things that I have to have in my life in order to be okay. I need the word of God. That is God's word as revealed in scripture. I need the spirit of God, which is God's spirit that I get when I become a Christian. But I also need the people of God. And that is the relationships with other people that are trying to follow Jesus as best they can. I need that in my life. In the Bible, guys, if you study the, the, the New Testament and Acts, they had a big group meeting sometimes in the temple courts, but most of what the early church did was in homes day to day. They would go from house to house. Uh, what we do to emulate that, because we here at the Crossings, we believe that the Word of God is the Bible, and we believe if we will take the Bible and as best we can do what it, try to make our church look like theirs uh, in principle, we're going to be okay. And so we do a big group meeting here on Sundays, but then we also, we're really a church of small groups. And the reason 
uh, we're a church of small groups is because it's, it's good to come and listen to a lesson on Sundays. Like we get, I get something out of listening to sermons, uh, and you do too. But if all you get in your church experience is sitting for an hour, looking at the back of somebody else's head, listening to one person talk, you're going to get something out of that because it's the word of God, but you're not going to get the full experience of what God wants the church to be for you. What God wants the church to be for you and what it was always meant to be is a family where you have close relationships, where you have your best friends, where you have people that you're close enough to that you consider like family. You got to put the time in in order to have those relationships. Now, we have to explain here because our country, uh, we have this idea that uh, you can be a Christian and not go to church, or which is foreign to the scriptures, right? Or uh, church is just kind of coming on a Sunday. That's not what church is when I look in the scriptures. When I look at what the church is in the scriptures, it is a family. It is relationships. There are over uh, 70 or 60 or 70 one another passages where it just commands about how to relate to the other people that you're in community with. In, in the New Testament, it is assumed that you're really steeped in deeply with the local church. It's not even argued for. But in our country... Here in the U.S., where we are very independent and individualistic, we like to go home and watch Netflix with our earbuds in and, and kind of shut out everything, because we have to explain to people why they need community, because it's kind of foreign to our culture. And our, our country, guys, statistically, according to Gallup and other entities, is one of the loneliest cultures in the world. Did you know that? Most people feel like they need greater community, but they don't know how to have it. Guys, the church, come to church. We'll give you community. We'll also teach you how to have the best life you can have with Jesus Christ. And it's, it's great. Uh, if you haven't plugged into small groups here at the Crossings, I would love to invite you to. I know a bunch of our uh, adult groups are meeting today. Uh, we usually have a meal together right after church. If you're visiting, you're welcome to come. Uh, we, would, we would be happy to have you. Um, but we do those. We do discipleship groups. We are together. Like one of the things um, I think... Most of us here that have been part of the crossings for a while, our closest relationships often are wrapped up in this congregation because uh, we spend that time and we take that uh, very, very seriously because it's, it's, I would not be okay if I didn't have those relationships, just speaking personally. I would not be okay. Um, there's a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin. If you want to pull that out, it's got a space for you to respond. I do want to invite you to respond this morning. If you're interested in learning more about small groups that I was mentioning, you can indicate that on there. If you uh, are interested in learning more about having a relationship with God, uh, maybe if, if you just feel like yours is stale, or maybe you're just investigating faith. Maybe you don't even really know if, if there is a God or if the Bible can be trusted. Guys, I was there. Nobody's going to look down on you for that. Indicate on your card that you'd like a Bible study, and we'll get a couple of our folks together and just have a conversation with you where you look at some scriptures and say, what do you think about that? How do you think we live that? And just kind of talk through some of the stuff. Um, if you've got questions about the existence of God, truth, if it's really true, doesn't have to be afraid of questions. So there's no dumb questions. Nobody's going to look down on you. And, uh, and we're not afraid of that. So feel free to ask them. Uh, we are starting two classes in a couple of weeks uh, for our Manasseh ministry. Our Manasseh ministries are our um, counseling ministries and support groups. We are starting Wounded Heart for Men, which is a class for uh, men who were sexually abused as kids. 
we are starting another class called Healing as a Choice, uh, which is for anybody that just has general life issues, whether you came from a broken family or you struggle with anger or unforgiveness. Healing as a Choice is a class that walks you through 10 lies that Satan tells you and then 10 things you can do where you're just taking scripture to apply it and basically God's truth, 10, th- 10 decisions you can make to heal. Uh, and it is extremely good. It is transformative. Um, if you're interested in that, you can get the information for both of those classes on the back of our bulletin. Uh, and space is limited. So uh, if you want to sign up, go ahead and do that, and we'll try to get you in there. If not, we offer those annually. Um, so we'll, do it. we'll get you on the next go-round if we don't get you on this one. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song. During that song, you're going to have time to fill that card out. Then we'll sing one more song after that, and we will pass some baskets, and you can just drop your card in that basket. If you're visiting with us today, guys, please don't put any money in the baskets. I mean, if you want to, we're not going to say no, but that's, that's not why we got you here. Okay, We're not interested in your money. We really just want to help. Uh, so if there's anything we can do to help you today... Uh, please let us do that. Um, Thank you guys so much for your attention. I'm going to pray, and then we will close. Father, thank you for bringing us uh, here another Sunday. Uh, God, I want to pray a special blessing on our college students as they are at their retreat. Uh, We we miss them, but also know that they are having a transformative weekend. uh, With There's a whole bunch of them uh, praying and worshiping and dreaming about the future. And so I'm looking forward to them coming back. I'm looking forward to uh, hitting campus at SIUE and the other campuses around uh, as we get things kicked off. I'm looking forward to all the new believers we're going to see this year and and people we're going to see become Christians. Uh, God, this is an exciting ministry to work in. I love this church and I know you do too. Uh, Father, I pray as we fill the card out this morning uh, that you'll help us Make the connections that we need to make that are going to bless our lives. Father, if there's somebody in here that's struggling with a, with a sin or something they're embarrassed of, uh, Father, sometimes that embarrassment can keep us from getting the help we need. Father, help, help us to be bold. Help us to be uh, courageous and, and understand we're in a safe place where nobody's going to look down on us. Nobody's going to do anything other than try to help Uh, And you also have filled many here with wisdom in order to do that. Um, So thank you, Lord, for all the blessings you give us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.